The most recent economic data that I could find were for 2011, and both salmon and steelhead fisheries brought in around $90 million to the state. And so it's not a, it's not a trivial thing. It's not a trivial part of our economy. Um, so when you say 90 million, are we talking, is that all like tourist dollars coming yes. in? Or, oh, okay. So, so yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I mean, it's licenses, which is probably a small component of that, but it's fuel, it's lodging, it's guides, it's tackle, it's all of the things that go along with um, trips to Idaho, mm-hmm. specifically to fish for salmon and steelhead. Meet Mike Quist, an associate professor at the University of Idaho. Mike spends his time at U of I fishing, Okay, that's not quite true. He actually studies fish, including the best ways to manage our fisheries. Fisheries management can be complicated with the involvement of anglers, conservationists, landowners, tribes, and all levels of government. For his part, Mike often evaluates and monitors fish populations. He's recently focused on studying steelhead trout populations in the Pacific Northwest. Welcome, everyone, to The Vandal Theory. My name is Lee Cooper, and I'm a science writer here at U of I and your host for The Vandal Theory, a podcast about science and research from the University of Idaho in Moscow. Throughout the second season of the podcast, we're going to meet U of I researchers and learn about the questions they're trying to answer, the problems they want to solve, and what intrigues them about their research. Mike joined me to talk about a newly published steelhead study and another steelhead project he needs the public's help with. Mike, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Um, How's it going? It's going good. Excellent. Can you introduce yourself for everyone? Yeah, my name is Mike Quist. Um, I am one of the assistant unit leaders with the Idaho Cooperative Fish and Wildlife Research Unit and also an associate professor in the Department of Fish and Wildlife Sciences in the College of Natural Resources here at the University of Idaho. Uh, My work largely focuses on applied fisheries management. Now, you're here today to talk to me about steelhead specifically. Indeed. So what is a steelhead? Well, so a steelhead is a rainbow trout, actually, which most people are familiar with, one of the most widely distributed trout really in North America. Um, The interesting thing about steelhead is that they function a lot like a salmon, meaning that they go to the ocean to grow up and get big, and then they come back to spawn. So juvenile rainbow trout or steelhead, will they're spawned in freshwater, They'll stay in freshwater for a number of years. It really depends on the system, a year to three years to four years sometimes. And then they'll make a decision to go to the ocean. Then they typically go to the ocean, and they'll remain there for a year or two, just depends on the individual population, and then come back and spawn. So let's talk about steelhead in terms of Idaho or at least, uh, you know, the Pacific Northwest. Why is this such a hot topic here in this state? So in general, salmon and steelhead fisheries, I'll just lump those together, so our anadromous fisheries, so anadromous just means fish that go out to the ocean and come back, are exceptionally popular in the Northwest. It's really kind of what the Northwest is known for. And in Idaho, um, we have a couple of different species of salmon. It's a hot topic because there are conservation concerns with really for a lot of our anadromous fishes. So many of them are listed under the Endangered Species Act. And that varies depending on the system and the, the specific population that we're dealing with. But So there Spe- are th- so specific little groups of the fish 
fall in different categories. Exactly. Yeah. So fish, for example, in the Snake River Basin and the Snake River proper may have a different designation than those in the Clearwater, okay. for example. But in general, all of them are, are at some level of conservation concern. And so that deals primarily with, with um, the wild fishes. So on top of that, we've got, there, there are important fisheries for these for these different salmonids. And so, for example, in Idaho, the most recent economic data that I could find were for 2011, and both salmon and steelhead fisheries brought in around $90 million to the state. And so it's not a, it's not a, trivial, it's not a trivial part of our economy. Um, so when you say $90 million, are we talking, is that all like tourist dollars coming yes. in? Or? Oh, okay. So, so yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I mean, it's licenses, which is probably a small component of that, but it's Fuel, it's lodging, it's guides, it's tackle, it's all of the things that go along with um, trips to Idaho, Mm -hmm. specifically to fish for salmon and steelhead. So the steelhead fisheries in particular are very well known in Idaho. So there's this conflict then between this recreational fishery and then some conservation issues, or, or there's this perceived conflict. Um, the, The sport fisheries are largely supported by hatchery fish. So there, there are a number of hatcheries that were developed largely as mitigation for water development. So for dams, basically. People are primarily fishing for, you know, they're fishing for steelhead and they catch both wild and hatchery fish. Um, harvest is only on hatchery fish, not on, not on wild fish. Okay, you know, so if I'm, if I, you know, I fly into Idaho, I go fishing and there's a chance I catch either one, recreation correct. or wild, but I can only keep what? Or, only or only keep hatchery fish. Only yep. keep hatchery fish. How, and how those do are, I tell the difference? And those are marked. So they oh. have have what they have a little fin called an adipose fin. If you ever look at a trout, it's a little fin back towards the tail. And like it sounds, adipose is fat. It's just this little fatty fin that really doesn't do anything. And so it's a nice little exactly. Is it on the bottom or the top? I it's on forget. the top. Okay. It's on the top. Right. And so typically so those yeah. are clipped. So we'll, oh. before fish are stocked. The adipose fin will be clipped off, and so you know that that fish is a hatchery fish. Oh. So it's a mark selective fishery. And it depends on the year in terms of what types of, you know, the, the regulations change from year to year in terms of how many fish can be harvested. It's pretty fine-tuned with regards to management. It's a highly managed fishery for sure. But, and who is that that's doing the managing? Who gets to make these calls? Oh, um, it's... Or a whole lo- group, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... When you're dealing with these transboundary issues, so we're dealing with border waters where you've got um, multiple states. So here in Idaho, you know, it's Washington um, Department of Fish and Wildlife and Oregon DFW. You know, and then you're also um, multiple tribes are involved as well. Mm. So there are tribal fisheries and, and there's co-management really of the anadromous fishes, um, for example, for Idaho Fishing Game and the Nez Perce tribe. So it's, it's, a lo- it's a lot of different groups. And then the feds are involved as well. Because we are dealing with ESA species, so NOAA um, fisheries. ESA is, is being against, Endangered Species yeah, Act. Endangered Species Act, correct. And so it's complicated, to say the least. So when we're, when we're talking tribes, is it because uh, the fish actually migrate through their lands or, or because they're important to um, the culture? All of the above. Okay. And there are, you know, there are treaties and treaty rights associated with take. Yeah, they, they have a claim, so to speak, to a certain number of fish. Really, to answer your original question, I mean, the, the main reason that, that, that steelhead are, are so important is because they do provide these really incredible fisheries. Okay. So you've been doing some studies to, to figure out sort of the, the state of the fishery or fish population. What kind of 
questions have you been trying to answer with your studies? Right. So honestly, for a long time, I tried to stay out of the whole anadromous world <laughs> because of the reasons I just indicated. However, there are some really great people to work with. And um, as I've been here, some of the questions that have come up have been things that are really of interest to me. And it's really tied to really the management of those fisheries. As I mentioned, a lot of my work is very applied. And so there are, um, Idaho Fishing Game in particular has had a number of questions that relate to management of the fishery. I'm you know, they, as well as other agencies, are always trying to do better and always trying to ensure that they're providing opportunities for anglers while also protecting wild fish. One of the first projects that we just completed is focused primarily on the Clearwater River system. So the Clearwater is kind of a unique system in the sense that um, it's, it's pretty well known for what they call B-run steelhead. And so there are A-runs and B-runs. A-run fish are generally those fish that go out to the ocean and they spend one year in the ocean. So we call those one ocean fish. B-run fish are those that are two ocean fish. So they spend two years in the ocean with the feed bag on, so to speak. So they get big. I mean, oh. really big. It's, so those are very much of interest to anglers. So the clear water is kind of this really unique, you know, unique system in a lot of ways. It's also an area where a lot of the, uh, there's a lot of hatchery production at Dwarshack National Fish Hatchery, and there's Clearwater Hatchery right there um, outside of Orofino. And so the hatchery produces a large number of fish. And there are wild stocks in there as well, some really unique wild populations, for example, in the Locksaw River or the Potlatch River. And so what we wanted to do is to better understand how wild fish and how hatchery fish, how they overlapped both through space and through time. So were hatchery fish and wild fish together, or did they spatially separate themselves? And if so, when did that occur? And then on top of that, kind of an overlying question was, where are anglers out there? Are anglers, you know, are they fishing basically in these areas where we've got both hatchery and wild fish, or are they just focusing on wild fish, or are they just focusing on hatchery fish, et cetera? And so it was really just the first cut at, you know, hey, we really need to better understand you know, how fish are using this system, because it is an important, you know, it is a really important system, and, and we need to know more about it. One of my students, Stacy Feekin, she started a, a master's project where we um, used radio telemetry, so... Okay, and this is not the, uh, you know, big mammals we put it around put their necks, their or neck even birds will get little backpacks. <laughs> yeah, no. Can't really do that, so what do you do? <laughs> yeah, the wildlifers kind of have it easy in a lot of ways when it comes to that. So, But it is the same concept, right? So it's a radio tag. It has an antenna, a little transmitter with a battery and whatnot, encapsulated basically in epoxy. And for steelhead, um, what we're able to do is gastrically implant those. So basically push it down the esophagus into mm -hmm. the stomach because they're not feeding in fresh water. And so... They don't need their stomach. So we, <laughs> so we use that to hold the tag, basically. And um, so we're able to tag these fish at Lower Granite Dam. One of the nice things is that many of the fish, before they leave Idaho, are tagged with an internal tag called a pit tag. So it's like if you get your dog microchipped, it's basically oh, okay. the, the same idea. So it's this radio frequency ID tag. And so those fish go out to the ocean, come back, and all of the dams all the way up the Columbia River and Lower Snake have a a pit tag reader. So when one of those fish goes out to the ocean, let's say from the Potlatch River, and it comes over Bonneville, it pings the thing in the system, and we get a note and says, "Hey, here's a here's a Potlatch fish that's headed up to Idaho." 
And so we're it's able like to like tracking a marathon runner. Yeah, basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. And boy, do they move anyway, these, <laughs> so these fish would come up and what we're able to do is put those fish in the system and say, all right, here's a potlatch fish. We want that. And so when the fish gets to lower granite dam, which is the furthest utmost dam on the snake river that has fish passage. So okay. just downstream of the Clearwater river is lower granite dam. If we say that fish is in the system, when that fish hits that pit tag reader, a gate swings open and it diverts it into a trap where they're able to be worked up. So it's kind of a nice a nice system in that regard. And so we're able to um, allocate samples across a bunch of different groups, both hatchery and wild groups is how we were able to do our sampling, put the tag down their throat, and then we um, track them. We did mobile tracking by vehicle, a pickup, and then also by drift boat. So Stacy floated the river and we were able to locate where the fish were. And then we had fixed antennas um, throughout the system. So we kind of knew when they passed different kind of important points in the river system. And so that went on across two, two years, two spawn years. Okay. Now, uh, mm-hmm. just to be clear, is she tracking hatchery and wild fish? Correct. Okay. Yep. So we had about 300 tags that were allocated across basically four different groups of fish that encompass kind of two hatchery stocks, two wild groups. For all intents and purposes, yeah, it was wild and hatchery fish. So basically you're just watching these guys throughout the river. Correct. Yeah. And so we're trying to figure out when did those fish actually enter the Clearwater River system once they're there, where do they go? How, how much do they move? Um, how does that change through time? How are they hanging um, out? Yep, who are exactly. they hanging out with? Who, and who are they hanging out with? Yep. And then once again, and then the angler component, Stacy, when, when she was out tracking with her technician, we would um, identify where anglers were located. And then Idaho Fishing Game was also doing their standard creel surveys, which so they're interviewing anglers, you know, how long have you fished? Have you caught any fish? Those types of questions. And when they did that, they just identified georeference, just where anglers were located. So what'd you find out? Yeah. So really the hatchery and wild fish, there's very little overlap in that system between hatchery and wild fish. So um, there's a little bit, of course, they all have to move through the lower clear water to get to where they're going, right? Um, so there's a time period during late August to early September, well, and really into late September, when there is that overlap between hatchery and wild fish in the lower portion of the river. And that's just because those fish are moving to their destination location. So, of course, they all have They're to They're all bunching up to get they, out the They door. all have to. Right. Um, but then after that period, then they start to separate based on either their origin, so where, where they were born, so to speak, or where they were released if they're a hatchery fish. And so um, a lot of the wild fish were primarily in the lower portion of the Clearwater River. The hatchery fish tended to be around Dwarshack National Fish Hatchery, which is where most of those fish were stocked up to portions of the Clearwater River system, South Fork Clearwater, excuse me. But the other interesting component of this was that the, the anglers primarily overlapped with hatchery fish. Um, not, that's not to say that there's not angling that occurs on, on, throughout the river system because it does. And so really anglers are smart. They know where those fish are. Those hatchery fish are large. And so they're interested in catching big fish. And so you go where the fish are. And anglers are good at figuring that out. So why is it important or significant, I guess, that they're going after the hatchery fish as yeah. opposed to the wild fish, it turns out? Well, there was some – I mean, there is some concern that perhaps – angling on wild fish 
some of those fish that are caught die. And for, for many, you know, that's just, that's unacceptable. But what we found is at least in the Clearwater system, probability that anglers are going to overlap with a hatchery fish is much higher than a wild fish. So um, that, and that does have some ramifications for how um, agencies look at these quote impact rates on, on wild fishes. One of, one of the big questions, you know, that, that started off was, well, maybe if hatchery and wild fish were, if they did overlap a lot, and it was during certain time periods, um, you know, managers have some options and that they can close certain parts of the fishery for different periods of time and those kinds of things, you know. So if there was concern and legitimate concern on wild fish, for example, then they had some tools, you know, they at least had some data to say, all right, yeah, it makes sense for us to close the fishery from point. A, a to, to point B, B right. Um, Opens but, up some options. Yeah, but really our um, – Stacy's work really showed that you know, there's really no need for that. I mean, the way that it's being managed, um, they're doing a really good job. I mean, the way that things are – things that are, the way that the fishery is managed and the way things are separated, it seems to be to be doing doing its job. So, Excellent. Yeah. You, you've done this study, and I know you've got another one in the works, another one about tracking these guys. Correct. So – the next step of this work is looking at kind of two components. So as I mentioned, with wild fish, there are certain considerations, I guess, with regards to management in that the way that the, that fishery is managed and the way the wild fish, those stocks are managed is that as there's a recreational fishery that's occurring largely for hatchery fish, some wild fish are caught by anglers. And of those wild fish, some proportion of those fish are likely going to die just as a result of, you know, whatever, whether that's angling or just, yeah, assuming that it's due to catch and release mortality. That's what we call that. After Stacy's work, we actually started, um, started down the road of a, new, of a new project. Really, the, once again, the focus of that work is to get at two questions. One is to understand how many wild fish anglers actually encounter in the fishery. And the second part is to get at the catch and release component of that. And I should mention, this is not just the Clearwater River. This is the Clearwater snake, salmon. This is pretty much all of Idaho. It also is going to include some fish into Oregon and even in Washington, just because of the nature of how, how this works. We're trying, what we're doing is we're using um, a combination of, of tagging. So we have external tags. We call them T-bar anchor tags. So, you know, when you buy, when you get clothes and it's got that little annoying plastic thing that attaches (laughs) the tag to your clothes, it's exactly (laughs) that same thing. So that little T, we kind of stick it in the back of the fish. Um, These tags have a little, have some alphanumeric codes on it and has a website and this kind of thing. And so the idea is that when anglers catch those fish, that they'll report those tags to Idaho Fishing Game. So what, so what we have, and we have various rewards and, and whatnot on these that increase the reporting rate. So if an angler catches one of these tags, and some of these, one, one of our tagging groups are $200 tags. Mm. But what that does, and I won't get into the details and how things have been done in the past, but this is a more direct estimate of the encounter rate. And so this will give us a really good estimate of how many wild fish are actually handled by anglers in, um, in these fisheries. So you'll know, so when they report, they'll be able to say, I caught this fish. Yep. In location. Yep. And, and we ask them to provide a location and, and whatnot. And they have to actually remove the tag if they want a reward anyway, because obviously they could just write the number down and give it to their buddies and, and whatnot. So they actually have to return the tag. So in addition to this external tag, we also are putting in pit tags into these the These are the ones that so ping are, as they go past yep, these various are the places. Same, these are the same things that you put in your dog. Um, 
And so we're putting those in the fish because throughout the basin, there are pit tag readers, even in the river systems. And so that helps us get at the second part of the study. So the first part is the encounter rate, which is dealing with how many wild fish are actually handled. Of those wild fish that are handled, we want to know how many of those fish die. Currently, it's assumed that it's 5%. So that's kind of a blanket rate that's applied. There's some questions about how reliable that how reliable those data are and how it relates to Idaho fisheries. So these fish get this pit tag in them as well. And so we will have a population of fish that are caught and handled, and we know those fish are caught and handled. And then what we're going to do is we'll be looking at those pit tag returns, so to speak. We'll look at those antennas to see how many of those fish actually survived. So mostly, yeah, it sounds like you know these guys got handled, these fish, mm-hmm. and then if they ping again somewhere else, you know that they survived that encounter. Right. Yep. And the, the tricky part becomes if you don't see them, did they die or did they just go somewhere else or they didn't get detected? And so that's where the, the math comes in. But yeah, it's been, you know, it's an important question. It, it keeps coming up as to what, you know, what is the effect on wild fish? Because these are, once again, these are really important fisheries and all of the agencies involved really do want to provide that opportunity to, to to people to catch those fish. But at the same time, there are concerns about wild fish and the state and other agencies really, you know, obviously they care a lot about wild fish and they want to conserve and protect wild fish to the best of their ability while also providing, you know, some type of fishery. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for coming in today, Mike. If you want to learn more about Mike and his steelhead project, go to our website, uidaho.edu slash vandaltheory to read through our show notes. I also want to let you know about a few other U of I research projects that might interest you. The University of Idaho Advanced Biofuels Lab is partnering with the U.S. Air Force on a student-led research project to commercialize a biofuel that doesn't freeze at high altitudes and has the potential to be carbon negative. U of I received a U.S. Air Force Small Business Technology Transfer Grant for research and to find potential market opportunities in the defense and commercial sectors. In the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, U of I's Jane Lucas published in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B about Azteca Althari ant nests in trumpet trees. The study found that nursery chambers had fewer bacteria species than the rest of the nest. These findings suggest that Azteca ants can change the microbial community in their nests, likely limiting the buildup of harmful microorganisms. And Richard Christensen, Director of Nuclear Engineering at the University of Idaho, Idaho Falls, was awarded a U.S. Department of Energy grant to support the installation of a new-scale reactor plant simulator. The simulator is a virtual nuclear power plant control room and will be housed at U of I, Idaho Falls. All right, that's it for today. Thanks for listening to The Vandal Theory. Come visit us at our website, uidaho.edu slash vandaltheory, for more details about the research we discussed today. Read our show notes, email me with comments, and most importantly, subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play, so pick your favorite and sign up. And please tell your friends by leaving a rating and review. It really helps people find the podcast and learn all about the wonderful work being done at U of I. I'm Lee Cooper, and thanks for joining me. <laughs>